Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Stack Overflow podcast, a place to talk all things software and technology. I am Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow. Despite what you may have heard, I am not an AI-generated voice or personality. This is really me for now. Still working out the, the bugs in our other systems. But I am joined today by two of my favorite co-hosts, my colleague, Ryan Donovan, who edits our blog and works on our newsletter, and Cassidy Williams, who contributes to our newsletter and frequently co-hosts the podcast with us. Hello to you both. Hello. Hey. So today we're going to be chatting with Tim Tutt. He's the CEO and co-founder over at Night Shift Development. And we're going to be talking about some of the work he's done deploying large-scale search and discovery data analytics solutions in the public and private sector, and you know, sort of a passion he has for helping non-technical users understand and leverage some of the you know, technical capabilities inside their organization or the data that they have inside. So Tim, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Stack Overflow podcast. Hey, Ben. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thank you, Ryan and Cassidy. Looking forward to uh, the chat today. So Tim, for folks who are listening, most of our audience you know, are folks who are developers, engineers, or work in the world of software. What's your origin story? How did you get into you know this world and and find yourself in the role you're at today? Sure thing. Uh, yeah. So luckily, my origin story isn't a villain story. So we'll uh, we'll have a good <laughs> ending to this. We'll decide. We'll <laughs> see. Not yet. Let will decide on that. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So I, I started um, goodness started coding when I was really young. You know, got into you know website development pretty young. Um, then kind of moved and started building web applications towards the high school time frame. Did that in college for a while and studied computer science at Virginia Tech. While I was there, I wound up doing you know, an internship that led me into building some large-scale search and discovery solutions for uh, some of our government customers back in the day. And that's really kind of where this whole thing started for me, where I got deep into search and discovery. We had massive amounts of data that our government organizations were collecting that people needed to find these needles in the haystack. How do we get to the thing that matters the most? How do we find the things that matter quickly and rapidly? And it started off with the standard, hey, we're doing building Boolean search uh, systems, making those things super scalable. How do we make sure that this operates in a distributed manner? And it's easy enough for you know, our end users to kind of you know run through and get the data that they need. I then started working at a company called Indeca that no longer exists. Uh, they were bought by Oracle, I think it's what, 2012-ish timeframe. Oh, dang. I was working there doing the same thing, and they had a search and discovery solution that we would deploy and help implement across the board. One of the things that was great about it was it was very easy to use. It reminded you inside of our government customer spaces you know, what a search experience looks like on the outside. So when you think Amazon.com, you've got the, hey, I'm looking for a, a Samsung TV. I've got the I've got the fastest navigation type things. How do we drill in, do the aggregations and analytics that I need to? And that's really kind of where I started to hone in kind of this love and you know desire to kind of make these things a whole lot more accessible, make these systems as accessible as possible. 
fast forward a bit, I've used a wide range of technology, spent a lot of time playing with open source tech, uh, specifically around this um, solar back in the day. And these days, I spend a whole lot of time using Elasticsearch, which is kind of the core of my company's platform, um, yeah. ClearQuery. Yeah, it's kind of the beginnings of uh, my origin story. Happy to dive in where it makes sense. So, <laughs> I feel like being bought at that time by Oracle is quite the jumping off point. Yeah, it was a great jumping off point, and it was it was a really interesting time because this was actually first job right out of school. So you know, um, pretty nice <laughs> <laughs> get bought very quickly, and you know, nice bit of change. But you know, I, I was you know very into working for you know smaller companies, so it, you know wound up kind um, of shifting around um, very quickly there after that acquisition occurred. So you spent uh, a lot of time in search. What interests you about search and search algorithms and all that? Yeah, you know, I think for me, I have a knack for data. I am constantly, as I, you know, kind of roam through the world looking at, you know, what types of data you can be gathering on an individual, how that data can be used to get at a person, whether that's through advertising, marketing, or even, you know, from a cybersecurity standpoint. And that was kind of a, another big side passion of mine still is, you know, is looking at how data can be used for both you know, beneficial purposes, but also nefarious purposes. And then how do we defend mm. against that? And how do we operate in this world where so much data is being collected about us, you know, even from your your phone? I joke all the time with my friends that Instagram has my number because I get the targeted ads and I, I think I buy more things from Instagram than I buy from anywhere else. They've really honed in, hey, if we ship this ad to Tim, he's probably going to buy it. Or we at least have a you know, highly likely shot of him you know, looking at it versus other platforms in general. Uh, so it's kind of a very interesting thing. And I know this. I know, you know what those behaviors are. And sometimes I even try to... Hey, let me do something, you know, weird just to kind of defeat the system. But, you know, these systems and the algorithms are like hyper interesting. So, you know, the thing that's interesting to me is really more about how we can use data again, both for good and bad, just because it's just hyper interesting to me and how we dive in. Right. Not to do a shameless plug for our, our own editorial, but we published a piece yesterday about how Stack Overflow is evolving from being a purely lexical search company. And we uh, also, as you mentioned, worked with Elastic to trying to do a hybrid of semantic and lexical search and hybrid, you know, in that sense, meaning where we can look into semantic because it can have some advantages, you know, if you want to start to incorporate some of what you're doing with Gen AI. Yep. What's your perspective on some of the changes that have been happening in the search world recently? You know, even at the major players like Google, 10 blue links may not be the future, uh, as they said at IO, you know, that they're thinking about other ways to show people information. Yeah. Um, you know, I tend to think these days, I'm glad everybody's starting to kind of catch up and get to this area now, because, you know, one of the things uh -huh. that we've been working on for a while is this conversational analytics. You know, when people are searching for data, they're not just searching for data. I mean, there is that a while back about how in the workplace, people spend, what, 29% of their work week just searching for the data mm. that they need. And that's before they even get to drilling into the actual answers. You know, hey, how do I find the the record or the document that's going to have what I need? But now I've got to go and drill into that to find the answer or get the value that I need out of it. So I am glad to see all of these things start to change. And you even see it in Google today, you know, as you search, you know, it pops up with, 
questions that people may have wanted to ask and the raw answers where it's extracting that. So I love this concept and it's actually a thing that I'm very passionate about myself. I think, you know, semantic layers are things that they've been around for a while. They've become a lot more efficient. The models have become a lot easier to deploy for these types of things. We still have the scalability issue of training on the right types of data so that you can um, you know, find things at a relatively cheap cost. But right. if you can leverage existing models, and you know, this is one of the things that OpenAI did with you know, the launch of ChatGPT, right? We, we now see a lot more consumers getting into this space and understanding, oh, here's some interesting ways that I can come and actually ask questions, get answers to data. So yes, I do think we're going to move away from just search to answer finding. Um, And, you know, that semantic layer is going to be a key piece of that. I'd also say, you know, you've seen a pretty big rise in the last several months of vector databases. Mm -hmm. That becomes a huge piece of all of this for, hey, how do we find things that are similar to what we're looking for to actually, you know, dive in in a a very effective and intuitive way from an engineering standpoint. Yeah, that was one of the more interesting things that came out of talking to our engineers was there are situations in which a vector database, you know, semantic search is way more useful. And there are often in like a stack overflow context, Mm -hmm. when somebody's dropping three keywords, or, you know, the exact text of an error message where lexical wins out. And so, you know, it's not like either or is better, you know, they each have their sort of own advantages. But I'll have to talk to you after the podcast 20, you know, however much time you said people spend each week looking for answers. We need a we need you to come do some plugs for Stack Overflow for teams for our knowledge base. That's exactly what we need. <laughs> hey, to talk about how frustrated people are looking for the right knowledge. It, um, it reminds me something I've noticed just like in Discord channels and, and amongst different chat applications where I talk with friends, people have started adding like keywords around links that they share and stuff because they know that they're going to be searching for it later. Right. Where, where they'll be just like, oh, this is the one where it touches on... Twitter turning into X and 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 how it affects Google search results or something like that, and they add all those keywords so that they can look for it later. Right. It's interesting because you know it makes me think about you know hey if you think about metadata for search results and things like that, that metadata can be used for that semantic layer for that future searching because really you're, yeah. and especially with Stack Overflow, I mean. I, avid user <laughs> um and i think every developer in the world will tell you that right but you know it's a especially when you're thinking about stack overflow you're looking for an answer and usually it's because i ran into this weird error message but every now and then it's because you've hit this weird edge case right and those mm. weird edge cases mm. are always the hardest ones to find i know that i've responded to a couple of posts before or i've even actually authored a couple of posts on stack overflow where it was something so obscure that i was like you know what i've been here before I couldn't find the answer, <laughs> but I found a solution, you know, on my own. Let me post right. what I did in case somebody happens to come across this, yeah. um, right. in case they happen to, you know, see this thing. Because it's <laughs> it's so frustrating when you can't find, you know. That's truly when you're getting karma. I mean, that's when you're adding to the universe <laughs> a little bit of knowledge that wasn't out there, right. you know, or wasn't public. And I do think it's interesting, you know, we'll see, you know, the next couple of months as some of our messaging evolves. There's all this hullabaloo about Stack Overflow traffic, a lot of which is false. But I think there may be an interesting situation in which the edge cases, the new questions, the things that have to do with languages and technologies that are evolving, those are always the kind of questions we wanted on Stack Overflow, not the duplicate question about right. homework or something that's been asked a million times and you didn't find. And so in some ways, semantic search almost solves a certain problem, which is like, if there is an answer, it'll be easier to find it and to understand it. You know, you'll get it back in this conversational format. And for the edge cases or the undiscovered problems, you know, the things that are brand new, 
now we can spend more time focusing on that. Absolutely. Also, it has me wondering, I mean, because you think about the number of answers you get on a given post, you know, sometimes it'll be a simple question and you've got the, hey, here's the right selected answer. But then there's, you know, all the other answers of, hey, here's another way to do it, or here's another way to optimize the solution. Or years later, hey, you know, that worked a while back, but this is actually the more relevant solution now. Mm. I also look at that and you think about Gen AI and some of these things. Could that data be used for inventing new and creative solutions, you know, in a gen AI, you know, fashion, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that becomes right. a hyper interesting, you know, potential uh, application of that type of data. Oh, yeah, <laughs> for sure. We chatted a little bit about this and we published a piece called Self-Healing Code. But the idea that, right, like the system is scanning the answers every, you know, a couple of weeks. And if something is out of date or there's a better answer that it finds somewhere else, you know, it can go in and sort of do that process of updating or pointing to the right thing. Whereas a lot of times people do have frustrations with finding Mm -hmm. an accepted answer that's stale and three answers down is the one that's like, wait, as a version 3.4, like you actually need to do this, right? Absolutely. So you're, you're uh, the big data nerd. That's how you got into the search. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. So you want to help organizations do more with their data. What's the more that, that organizations can do? Because I know a lot of people are, are treating data as the new oil, right? Yep. And that's kind of been like the, the old saying, and it's, it's, a, it's really interesting saying. I've given a couple of talks on this before, but I mean, if you really look at it, you know, people are collecting mass amounts of data and everyone claims they want to be data driven, but no one's actually using that data to make real decisions. And when they are actually trying to use that data, it's usually, you know, hard for them to get to a, how do I get from, you know, this raw data to an accurate business decision? And a lot of that boils down to this big gap you have in who has access to the data and who has access to ask the right questions of that data. So you have these subject matter experts that, hey, I know the business. I know how to operate. I know what I'm doing. And then you've got your team of data scientists or your team of data engineers that don't always have the business context. And that's one of the things that, you know, Myself, my team, we've all been very keen on is, hey, every time we get involved in engagement, I need to understand your business before I even start talking tech, before I even start coming up with a solution. Because if I don't understand your business, I'm going to build the wrong solution. So what we're trying to do with Clear Query is really help democratize this ability for people to ask the right questions of their data so that you really get the subject matter experts asking those questions instead of having to go through a team of engineers to go and build those things. What that does for us, and this is really why we started the company, you know, myself and my co-founder found ourselves in this role where I was literally playing the middleman. We, you know, had analysts coming to us, asking questions. I go run queries against supercomputer, massage that data, come back, get them answers. And it became this like repetitive cycle of, hey, we're answering a lot of the same questions. And I think Every developer listening to this will tell you the same thing, right? We are all lazy as hell. If I have to do something more than once, I'm going to automate it. I'm going to write a script and I'm going to use that script from now until you know the end of eternity to not have to do that thing again. But that was the thing we kept running into. And you know, even with these scripts, hey, you know, it was great we could do that, but I still had to be the one to go and press those buttons. So we really kind of took this big step back and said, well, what if we didn't have to be in the middle? What if people could get the simple answers to the simple things that they want to know, you know, very rapidly on their own? 
as simple as asking questions in natural language. Think of it as, you know, Siri meets your data type thing. And this is where we are now with Kin AI. You know, everyone's starting to see it a lot more, you know, than it's been seen before. But this is what we started six years ago is, hey, how do we enable this conversational analytics thing for non-technical users? And what that does for us as engineers is it frees our time up so that we can go work on harder, more interesting problems and find more creative ways to leverage that data to drive things forward, um, you know, overall. Yeah, I mean, that that seems like the path for a lot of things in computer science is just like you get rid of the boilerplate, right? You know, I think it's what we do with Stack Overflow and Stack Overflow for Teams. It's like somebody's answered this question somewhere, right? Make it searchable. Absolutely. And this is the other thing is, you know, once you get that data into the hands of the right people, humans can be a lot more creative. I think there's always been this constant mm-hmm. fear of, oh my God, computers are going to take my job. Machines are going to take away. If they can do these things and, you know, what am I going to do? Well, what it does is it frees you up to be more creative and have a little bit more intuition about what it actually means. One of the things that I, I always see is, you know, people tend to think, Correlation equals causation, and that's not necessarily true. You need a subject matter expert to really understand what's going on there to really determine, hey, uh, you know, what does this correlation actually mean? Is this the cause or is there something else that we can drill into? And if you give that to the right people, they can really help find that a bit more and move that along the way. Um, so I really think, you know, democratizing analytics, democratizing data in general, it just gives us more room to be creative in a faster pace so that we can get to those answers faster. Right. And I think another big thing we're thinking about at Stack Overflow, which we talked about in our announcement at We Are Developers recently, is the accessibility of the data as it pertains to the training of AI systems, right? Like, mm-hmm. If the AI is training on Wikipedia or Stack Overflow or Reddit, you know, now people are becoming concerned. Should that be something we're charging for? Is this actually licensed for you to ingest the data, learn the AI, and then charge for what the AI puts out? And I think, you know, kind of to your point, Tim, our ethos has been like the data needs to continue to be public, like Stack Overflow data dumps have always been. And if you're going to get an answer from the AI, you should be able to understand, you know, the attribution. Who put this knowledge Absolutely. in there? Where did it come from? Can you cite the source? Can I go look at the post and see how this code is licensed, et cetera? That that prevents this kind of black box in which, you know, we might end up with like less and less training data, right? Mm-hmm. Like more sure. and more is just like the AI is telling people what they need to know and less and less, you know, sort of original material, like you pointed out, your edge cases are being created. Right. And that could be sort of a tragedy of the commons. Yeah, no, it's an interesting uh, point. It, it almost begs this question of, you know, do we wind up with, you know, new licenses for data mm-hmm. in a weird way yeah. where kind of like you just mentioned here, you know, this attribution piece, hey, yes, you can use these Stack Overflow posts for training, but you have to source, you know, what pieces or who the authors were of the original content that this AI generated, which also means we now have to build AI that isn't so much of a black box. Mm-hmm. We have to understand exactly what it's doing and how it's getting there. And, you know, that's a big gap that I think we've had, you know, for the last, what, 10 years of yeah. this, you know, development mm-hmm. in machine learning AI yeah. algorithms. I mean, if if I remember correctly, I think Stack Overflow data is Creative Commons version four, which requires attribution. Um, it just gotcha. hasn't been. I think we're seeing that with a lot of AI tools where people are, for example, using GitHub Copilot and they're like, what license do I have with this? Right. Am I allowed to just use this or, or what should I do? And I, I feel like 
that is a very big thing that businesses in particular have to figure out, like, what are we allowed to use in our paid products? Absolutely. That is such a, uh, such a nightmare, right? Um, you know, <laughs> licensing is always terrible. I mean, every time you pull into open source products, one of the first things we have to look, hey, what licenses is under before we even go down the path of, you know, seeing if it would work? Because, you know, hey, we sell a paid product. And if we're, you know, using something that doesn't have a permissible license, and uh, we need to go find another solution or create something else ourselves, which is always a, you know, big challenge in and of itself. Yeah, it gets hairy. <laughs> Very hairy. <laughs> so as you look out, are there things that you're working on, either on the search side, the AI side, the data side, that you're excited about for the next year? What are you hoping to accomplish over the next year? And I guess, you know, if there are ways that people can come check out some of that work, where should they go? Yeah, absolutely. So a couple things that we're working on, and we are um, looking at how can we leverage language models to make our stuff more effective. So one of the biggest questions that we always get is, hey, how well do you handle unstructured text? And our answer is, hey, mm -hmm. look, unstructured text is great. We can you know, bring unstructured text in. However, we're really going to need to do some data engineering work on that to do entity extraction and identify you know, core concepts and themes that, so that you can do analytics on it. We're starting to use language models now to do that automatically on the fly for bodies of text for users so that we're going to automatically generate that so you can start asking questions. But one of the other ways that we're starting to use language models is for that standard question answering. So if you're asking a question that is not necessarily an analytic-based question, but, hey, I'm looking for a pure fact that's buried somewhere here in this data, how do I get that Q&A you know, response back from ClearQuery in a, in a more effective way? So those are some of the things that I'm really excited about. I'd also say one of the other big ones is really this decision intelligence thing. So how do we help you optimize the decisions that you're making? How do we help you determine, hey, I want to reach a certain goal. I, I want to increase you know, our revenue by 30%. What things should I change to make sure that we're able to do that? Do I need to sell more extra large t-shirts or you know, is it that people like you know, the ones that have, I, I don't know, a, a SpaceX X on it or something like that, or they love the Twitter blue logo, whatever that is, how do I make the right decisions? How do I change the right factors in my business to impact and get me towards that particular goal. So those are some of the big things that we're looking at in the next quarter, next quarter or two, um, that I'm really excited about launching in particular. One of the great things about ClearQuery is we have a free tier. If you go to clearquery.io, you can sign up right there. Um, that free tier is purely a free tier, has all of our features. The only limitation is how much data you can put in and the number of users that can touch it. But other than that, you get access to every capability and you can try it out there. Um, and then we have you know, a variety of tiers on our SaaS version. We also deploy behind firewall. And that's really where you know, the bread and butter of our business comes from is you know, how do you deploy this behind firewall so it's safe and secure and we're not using third-party APIs and having to ship off our data. That's been one of the key things for us and I think differentiates us a lot in this market space. You know, we've been doing this conversational AI thing for a while. I've started to see some of our competitors start to add it in, but they're using open AI APIs, which means, hey, my data is getting shipped off. Questions are, you know, getting shipped somewhere else. And sometimes that's more damaging than even the data itself because now you're giving up some of your competitive advantage. So a couple of different ways for you to you know, try that out. Definitely happy to chat with anyone if they're interested in exploring that further. Awesome. Terrific. 
All right, everybody, it is that time of the show. Let's shout out the winner of a lifeboat badge, someone who came on Stack Overflow, answered a question, saved a little knowledge from the dustbin of history, awarded two days ago to Bo Ann. How do I sort four numbers without an array? If you're interested, we've got an answer for you. And thanks to Bo Ann, you've helped over 23,000 people. I am Ben Popper, the director of content here at Stack Overflow. You can always find me on X at Ben Popper. You can always email us, podcast at Stack Overflow. And if you like the show, leave us a rating and a review because it really helps. I'm Ryan Donovan. I edit the blog here at Stack Overflow. You can find it at stackoverflow.blog. And if you want to reach out to me, um, I probably still check my DMs on X. My name is Cassidy. You can find me at Cassidy, C-A-S-S-I-D-O-O on most things. And I am the CTO over at Contenda. So my name is Tim Tut. I am the CEO and co-founder at uh, Night Shift Development. Like I said, if you're interested in checking out ClearQuery, www.clearquery.io. You can find me at Tim Tut on most things, with the exception of X, where I am still Tim Ooh. F. Tut. I have not been able to steal the original yet, but everywhere <laughs> else, you can find me at Tim Tut. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.